Matthew chapter 4. Ah, praise God. Praise God. I tell you one thing. It's good to be out here in America, rural America, where we can still gather and have a few meals and fellowship and have a good time. You know that? I'm telling you. Wow. Okay, in Matthew 4, beginning with verse 12, and I'll read through 16. When Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Now I want to read the original prophecy from Isaiah 9. And then we'll begin. But in Isaiah 9, the first two verses, it's talking about the Assyrian Empire their tight grip and persecution of Israel. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness, have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So Jesus is the light, is what we want to teach on briefly here. Let's pray. Father, for a few moments as we look into these verses, we pray that you speak to all of our hearts. We're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for truth. Speak to us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now Matthew obviously has a number of Old Testament scriptures at his disposal because he shows on numerous occasions how Jesus' life and career is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Everything from his birth until the point where we are right here in Matthew 4. But verse 12 shows us that though Jesus was raised in Nazareth, it says that there had to be something that motivated him to leave his home and go to Capernaum. And in this case, in verse 12, John the Baptist had been placed in prison. John the Baptist was a prophet, uniquely called, uniquely gifted of God. He was a man that 
pretty much grew up in the deserts. He was the son of a priest. He should have automatically become a priest. But because of the call of God, he withdrew himself from that particular vocation and gave himself to God in the deserts. This man privately spent time with the king. But at some point, the Lord determined that John the Baptist should leave the desert, make his way amongst the people and begin to proclaim the message of repentance, talking about the kingdom of God. That's what he did. Hundreds, if not thousands of people came out to the Jordan River to be baptized by him. Can you imagine a scene like that? All of these folks were Jews. All of them were in covenant with God physically by circumcision and by lineal descent from Abraham. They all were people who basically went to the synagogue over and over again and read the scriptures from the Hebrew scrolls. But yet in the middle of all of that, John the Baptist comes telling them to repent. No doubt they wondered what they needed to repent of. But John the Baptist saw what they could not see. He saw what, what they were incapable of seeing, and that is that they were in their sins. Little by little, they made their way to the river, and they were baptized. But that prophet of God told Herod and his wife that their marriage was illegal. And the wife was so angry about that that she, in the end, had John the Baptist beheaded. But I want you to notice that it was his imprisonment that led to Jesus' departure into Galilee. For all of us, there's usually something that opens up a door or pushes us or propels us in a certain direction. The closing of one door oftentimes leads to the opening of another door. Sometimes when God is trying to get us down a certain pathway, he has to shut off all other avenues just to get us going down a particular path. In this instance here, Jesus heard that his relative, John the Baptist, was in prison. And he said, now it's time for me to begin the ministry. And he launched out and left the place where he was born and raised. And according to verse 13, he came to Capernaum. The only reason I can think of for his going to Capernaum was because it was in the land of Naphtali. And every step Jesus took was in fulfillment of some Old Testament prophecy. The city of Nazareth where he was born was in the area of Zebulun. You say, what do these names mean? Well, Jacob had 12 sons. And to these 12 sons, came 12 tribes. And of these tribes, Moses and Joshua had allotted certain portions of land to each of these tribes. And Zebulon and Naphtali were two of them. And there were certain portions of land that had been allocated to them that they were supposed to hold on to. And so Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus, he prophesied. And said, these regions are going to see a massive revival. And this is why the Lord is ordering the steps of his son to go from Nazareth to Capernaum to fulfill an 800-year-old prophecy. 
Now you have to understand that when God guides us and leads us, we sometimes don't know why we make the choices that we make, but he knows. That wasn't the case with Jesus. He was God in the flesh. He knew exactly what he was doing. But for you and for me, sometimes we operate in blindness or partial ignorance, sometimes in the dark. But later on, we realized that this whole thing was of God when we look back down the hill from the top and we can see that all the trouble that we had trying to ascend the mountain was well worth it because of what God is doing right now. So the scripture says that this area, according to verse 15 in Matthew 4, was the land of the Gentiles. There, were, there was a lot of diversity here. You remember, this is where they had the story of the demons that went into the swine. Because Jewish people typically didn't eat pork. It was against the Old Testament law. But this Galilean region was not as conservative as the area around Jerusalem where the temple was. And the further you moved away from Judea, that is where you found greater tendencies through all of the diversities of the people who had all the differing opinions. This is what led to so much of what came to be known of as the idolatry that people can find today in the excavations. Now I'll tell you this, if you don't think that principle is true, that the further you move from the rural area into the larger metropolitan areas, look at the lifestyles we lead out here. I don't think there's a human being in San Francisco that would love to live the way we live out here. And I don't think there's a human being out here that wants to see anything from San Francisco manifested out here. So this was Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus was raised in an area where people had all kinds of beliefs. And according to verse 16, the people sat in darkness. What is darkness? Ignorance? Sin? A lack of knowledge. The scripture says my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And what does darkness do? Darkness slows you down. He says slow you down in what way? Well, in the evening time, if you turn off the lights in every room in your house, look at how cautiously you'll maneuver about your home, even though you may have lived there for years. And you know where every table, you know where every chair is, but yet you are moving about cautiously. That's why when you go into a dark house, your dark house, the first thing you do when you walk in is flip the light on so you can see. Darkness is a prohibitive thing. It slows you down. And the people here who sat in darkness, which Isaiah said they walked in darkness, they eventually saw a great light. What does it look like when a person walks in darkness? They live according to their own life. The Bible says it this way. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And when you talk to people, they'll say to you, that's your opinion, that's your truth, that's not my truth. I don't receive that. But the Bible is clear. The ways of man that seem to him to be right, in the end, they prove to be deadly. There's no doubt about it. But these folks sitting in the darkness saw 
the great light. What's interesting to me about this is that the people sitting in darkness had no idea they were in darkness. If you would have told them that they were in their sins, they would have looked at you as though you'd lost your mind. But yet here they saw a massive light. Jesus manifested himself on the scene. And the scripture said in him was life. His light was his life was the light of men. This guy opened the eyes of blinded people, cast out devils, healed the sick, changed the scene of Israel through his meetings and through his teachings and with all of his healings. And yet when all of this was springing up in the midst of that darkness, do you think they saw it? No, they didn't. They didn't. In fact, they even said Jesus was full of the devil. And said he cast out devils by the devil. And so it's in this region where there was the shadow of death that light sprung up. Now God is always looking for areas where his light can manifest. If we ever want to see revival and see the move of God, we just need to look for some of the deadest places on the planet. They become candidates. I know sometimes we think that uh, a church is too dead for God to move, but every town, every village, every church is one person away from a move of God. God needs one person that'll be the candle, one person that'll be the Ezekiel to step into a, dry, a valley of dry bones and open up his mouth and say, hear the word of the Lord. And if God has somebody that'll do that, then there's the expectation that everything will begin to come together. And this is how Jesus came into this world. And this is how God has done it historically. Why did we have the Protestant Reformation? Because one man was reading through Galatians and Romans and Psalms. There were hundreds of others that could read the Bible in Latin, but they didn't go up to the door there at that castle in Wittenberg and then post those 95 theses on the door. But Martin Luther did. And when he did, People had to take notice because there's going to be a discussion about all of these different topics. And had he not did what he did, there probably wouldn't be a Protestant church right now. The Bible would still be chained to a pulpit. Folks would still be chanting in Latin and multitudes of people would honestly believe that salvation is strictly in connection with being born in a particular church. But because one man, revival came. Think about John Wesley. The church in England was so bad at that time that they, they said that the corruption was everywhere, that Anglican priests were involved with iniquity that should not even be mentioned with human lips. But yet this man came having had a revelation from God, being truly born again. He knew that all of England needed to hear the gospel and climbing up on horseback. He started going to different villages and preaching. And he had so many people getting saved that even the ladies wouldn't keep, keep it to themselves. They were telling people the stories of Jesus. And so they started these houses with classes in them. And he had so many hungry people throughout the mountainsides that not only the men, but the ladies also were leading the classes and teaching people about Christ. And they say because of the Wesleyan revival, it kept back apostasy for at least a hundred years because that man preached the gospel. But if you would have told the Anglican people 
If they were sitting in darkness, they would have said, you've lost your mind. In the 19th century, with the holiness revivals and movements that sprung up here in America, everything from the Nazarene Church to the Church of Christ became popular as people began to look more intently into the Scripture, greater hunger for the things of God. Traditions were of no consequence anymore because people wanted to return to Scriptures. Old circuit riding preachers were still busy going from one village to the next, telling folks about Christ. And one village after another, slowly but surely, turned to God. Went in Topeka, Kansas. Agnes Osmond prayed through and was filled with the Holy Spirit. New Year's Eve, back in 1900, changed the course of events here and across the ocean in England. And because of that, one uneducated man by the name of William Seymour ended up in a little place in Los Angeles, California, sitting behind two chicken crates. He'd bury his head in one of the crates and pray. People came from all over this earth to be part of an interracial service where the Spirit of God was poured out. And out of those meetings that lasted from 1906 every day until 1909, we have every major full gospel denomination in America that came because folks were hungry. And in those days, of course, when you graduated from a Bible school, if you were AG, Church of God, Pentecostal Church of God, you just ask the directors of the school where you wanted a church. And they'd tell you what village. And I mean, those preachers just went out there and started preaching the gospel. They didn't worry about hardship. They didn't care about how difficult it was. They just knew even if they had to live off of squirrels and crows, they'd go out there and camp by a river and walk into town and preach the gospel. And churches all over this area now was started a long time ago by people who suffered all kinds of poverty and dire straits. Well, during those times, of course, High Moja used to tell about the little mission that started down here on the south end of town. And the preachers that were here, one couple, I think it was the Blodgetts, he said, for a lot of years, tried to preach the gospel down here. They never had children. They never had enough food. Said the wife, never had enough food to even have nourishment in her body to bring the baby to full maturity. Said he'd preach the gospel. All he had was one shirt. He'd preach. Wash that shirt after that morning service and dry it on the line and preach in the evening service. And the mission down here, of course, was in the house where Dorothy and Albert Wood's house is presently. Well, in the processes of time, of course, um, in prayer, I had always hoped that there'd be a full gospel church down here on this end of town again. He didn't know how that would happen. He passed away back in 2001, August of 2001 to be exact. But there were a lot of people praying, a lot of people seeing things. Even long before I ever came out here, Barry saw a church that would be involved with media, and people coming from different directions. 
This little church has done a lot. Been on radio for over 20 years. We were on television for over a year, shortwave radio for a long time. But there used to be a little lady lived in this house just north of the church here where Tiff and I first lived when we just got married. And that little lady was High Mojer's sister. And she got to where she was somewhat debilitated physically. And they thought she was losing her mind. She looked out the window one day out here. There was nothing out here but trees and cattle and stuff. And she looked out. She said, I see people walking around with their hands up. I see people coming from different directions. And of course, they thought she was kind of losing it. But she saw me. She saw you. She saw hundreds of others that through the years have come out here. Well, I had been in the Middle East. I left the Middle East and came back to the States. Was in a morning service at Full Gospel Assembly in Cleveland, Ohio, and should have been in South America. But I was in Cleveland visiting my parents. And in a morning service, a lady called me out, prophesied to me with a guitar in her hand and told me I was supposed to be in the nations. I wasn't supposed to be where I was at that time. She was correct. I left Israel to go to South America, but I stopped off to see my parents. She hit the nail right on the head. I made my way to South America, came back then, ended up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, down at Jimmy Swaggart's church. God gave me favor down there. While I was down there one day, I came out of the prayer meeting, because they had prayer meet 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. every day, six days a week. I came out of the morning prayer meeting. God spoke to my heart, said, I want you to go on radio, and I want you to go and buy some airtime now. So I left, went to the radio station. It was operated by a friend of Tiffany's at that time. I didn't know it. His name was John Santiago. I said, I've come to see if I could purchase some airtime. He said, well, we just had somebody cancel, so we got a 15-minute slot. I said, okay. So I started doing radio, and the title of the broadcast was The Day of Pentecost, and I'd go into the archives of the old Jimmy Swagger Crusades and all of that, and then I'd play excerpts and clips of those, and then I'd preach and share testimonies of what I'd seen God do in the Middle East. So we were doing that every week. I didn't realize Brother Swagger was listening to my radio broadcast. And then one day I got a phone call, or somebody met me in the hallway and said, Brother Swagger wants you to be on a study in the Word. So from there, I was on his, his uh, radio broadcast, a study in the Word, every morning. As we sat there with four or five other people and just talked about Scripture, discussed the Word of God. Well, there was a, a, a couple from DeWitt that used to come down to camp meeting because by now I'm preaching in the uh, Bible school and I'm preaching in the church and this gentleman worked for a vice scripts plant there. The wife was a teacher at Tri-County and they would haul this trailer down there, this camper I should say, and then three times a year and then for the, the uh, camp meeting, of course Brother Swag and him always have good music and stuff, and so I, I'd sit there and just up on the platform just watch as all these folks would come and dance and praise the Lord and glorify the King and this, little, this school teacher She'd be right out there around the altar. 
She's probably every bit as tall as I am, if not taller. And she'd just be out there just dancing around the altar and everything. Now, later when I got up here, I found out she was John and Jen's teacher. And they couldn't even believe she would even con con conduct herself that way. But you get people out of their comfort zone. Folks, I'm telling you, she'd be dancing all around that place, waving a handkerchief and just praising the Lord. They came to me after one of the services and said, would you mind coming to Nebraska and preaching a home church meeting for us? I said, well, I said, I'm on my way to South America for a trip. But when I get back, I'll come on up there. So had all the contact information, went to South America. Whole time I was in South America, couldn't get Nebraska off my mind. So I set the meeting up, came, and we were in Plymouth at Don and Rogene Gilliland's place. And they had an acreage, about 10 acres house set on. And so we came and set up shop there, and I started preaching the gospel, and uh, God just started moving. And there were people coming from Beatrice and Fairbury and other places to these meetings. And God was pouring out his Holy Spirit. It was only supposed to be a meeting that lasted a week. But as you can see, 23 years later now, we never left. Well, Tiffany was at ORU. And she and I were deeply in love. And so I told her about what was going on. She wanted to come up, so we drove down through the night, picked her up, brought her back so she could be part of, of those meetings and she could see what was taking place as we were praying for people. I mean, just wonderful stuff. We ended up going up to UNL campus, preaching the gospel in a couple of those houses where those young people were. We were going, went over to Tri-County one time and preached the gospel there in the morning and several other places where we went to preach. But up here... Because Don had drove around to different locations and Don went to uh, stop at Kenny and Sherry's place. And he gave Kenny and Sherry a tape, gave Kenny a tape, I should say. And so Kenny loaded up his whole family and they made their way two hours east to go to those meetings in Plymouth. And it so stirred he and his wife and the kids that every night they were making that drive. Now you imagine this, folks, two hours one way, two hours back, two hours one way, two hours back. And so finally the invitation came to me to come up here in this area and preach. And we were six miles west over in Innovale. You remember, I always tease people, say there's 100 people in that little village and 50 of them are in the nursing home there, or whatever they call that place, you know. Yeah. And, and so when we, when we came up, and that's where I met some of you, because when we came up, that, that first meeting I had, I think it was a Thursday night, I can't remember, but I just remember that first night, I, the place was packed. I don't know how they got all the high school folks out there, and just a whole lot of adults, but I stood there in that church and preached a message called No More Religion. That's how I met Mr. Wentworth, Mr. Garth. He was there at that meeting. 
Well, at, at the time, we, we thought we were just going to be there and share and minister and preach the gospel. So I was going house to house in that little town, introducing myself to people. And of course, you know how startling it, it is when you're just out cutting the grass or you open up the door in a little town like Enneville and then there's a black guy standing there. <laughs> Here I was telling people that we're there preaching the gospel. And, you know, folks just automatically give you that look like in Ennevale. Yeah, in Ennevale. And that's how I ended up meeting the Pearsons. I knocked on the door of their house and went and spent some time in fellowship with them. In the end, you guys will remember that that July, end of July 1998, we sat in that house there in Ennevale, and we organized Revival Tabernacle. And I preached from Psalm 137. And I told all of you, despite all the different kind of difficulties that had occurred in this region in different churches, that God would give us all a reason to sing and a reason to praise God. And say, so if we stay together, we'll build a great church. Well, we've stayed together, and God certainly has given us wonderful congregations out here in preaching Christ, because this church certainly has become a mother church to a lot of different ministries and a lot of different people. Well, when we got started, we were meeting in houses, of course, and we would just go house to house each week. We'd be at the... Be at, uh, Dennis and Ruth sometime, and we remember we'd go pick up those folks from the place over there in Inneville, and they'd come and fall asleep on me as I was preaching. And, and then we'd go to the next place, and then we'd be down here at the house, then maybe at Dorothy and Albert's house. But wherever we were at, the presence and the power of God was there. And I know, as you knew, that no one believed we'd last or we'd stand or that I would stay. You folks were hearing it over and over again. There's no way that man's going to stay here. And as Albert would say, he's not here today, though. He'd been to too many places. They'd say he studied too many languages. He's never going to stay in a little town like this. But we hadn't gone anywhere. When invitations have come for us to leave, we said we're called here. When people have offered us all kinds of things to leave, we have said we're staying here. And that was even in the beginning when we started off, there was no salary car we had, mechanic, will fix it for free. People were kind enough to give us pork and food and bless us. And then after a little while, then because I had worked it out for us to at least have a roof over our head over here, and all the families who stood with us were kind enough to bless us and be generous with us out of the things that they had. And here I am, and my wife and I, trying to preach and tell folks about the king. She went to work at Head Start. I continued traveling a little bit on the side so that with those offerings, we'd make sure we didn't starve to death. And you guys made sure we didn't starve to death because Pastor knew which house to go to at lunch and at supper and at breakfast and where to go have coffee in between. Yeah. Well, the, the Lord put it on our hearts to go check on the community center because we knew we needed a place to go 
And at that time, they had the local ministerial fellowship. I was new. I was different. And so I was kind of like the outside child at a family reunion every time I showed up. But I went in there and I talked to the lady who ran the community center. And the lady said, you know, we've heard so many good things about you. And out here ministering, you can use the community center. So we went in there. And, of course, we just had the time of our life in the community center preaching the gospel. Folks locally, they would come in. I remember one time Lacey Lucas Savage was walking out there, saw a man walking by, just grabbed him, brought him in. He became a fixture in the church, never did leave, stayed right in it until he passed away. And then that's how we ended up meeting uh, the Hoffmans, because Lacey was a little evangelist at that time. She spoke to Brett. Brett spoke to her mama. Brett got so on fire for God before he went to Bible college out in California. And then we went over to Mongolia. You remember we supported him over there for a couple of years. But his mama, Diane, she's not here, but if she's listening to this on the radio this morning, she's going to be laughing. She, she, she said, I need to go down there and see what kind of cult my son and got involved what in the world is wrong with him well she came down here heard the gospel we ministered the word of God and she realized it's not a cult it's just an old-time gospel preaching missionary church full of the Holy Ghost and fire and she's been with us ever since well we knew we couldn't do the community center forever I was naive about small towns. I didn't know what you could do, couldn't do, shouldn't do. Everybody I met on Main Street, they always would ask me, as I told you before, those three questions. Where are you from? What are you doing here? When are you leaving? That's how it was in the beginning. They had signs out on Main Street that said for rent. I'd go in and ask, could we rent the place? Then they'd tell me it wasn't for rent anymore. So we knew we had to have a plan B to work behind all of that. But God knew. God was working. So this whole property down here was coming up, the auction. And Hi was telling me about it, and he said, my niece, I believe that's how Viola was related to him, I'm, my niece is wanting to purchase this land down here. And, and I've got to go ahead and, and kind of act on her behalf. He said, but I think God's moving. I said, okay. So they had the auction that morning. I just remember it was a cold morning. And it was kind of a rainy morning. And would you believe nobody showed up but the auctioneer and high mojer? That's it. The auctioneer told high, I can't give this to you for free. You've got a bid. He said, I bid, I believe, $25. So $25, he got all of this, plus where the house is here, $25. And Viola turned around and gave all of this, deeded all of this to the church so that we could have it to put up something. So that's when the guys went to work, started working at clearing off all of this. And then we started working at putting up the building because our policy had always been, or I should say the policy we started was, we're not going down to beg a banker for a dime. We're going to build debt free. We don't care how long it takes. We'll just go slowly. We won't owe anybody a thing. And that's what we did. People just came out here 
And some of those nights we'd come out, have Bible study, then after Bible study, stay out here and, and do the work. I can remember it'd be so cold out here. I mean, there wasn't even any sheetrock or anything up. We had that big cannon that Barry got from somewhere, the big gas like a, a mobile furnace, I'd be up here teaching, the temperature would drop, that thing would crank up, and I mean, it'd shoot fire out of it, and then just blow us a ring of smoke right down the center as I was teaching, and just couldn't believe that anybody would have been sitting up in the middle of all of that, and wives are holding on to husbands, and they're shaking as we're teaching. But, you know, people do whatever they need to do in order to have what they believe God wants them to have. And we sacrificed, and there were times we didn't always have the money. You can remember when we got the frame in the building, got everything up, didn't have everything we needed for the siding, and there was tar paper hanging all off the side, and folks were embarrassed. They were saying, oh, my goodness, this isn't looking good at all. I just kept teaching, kept preaching, because I told everybody, I'm going to start in the book of Acts, chapter 1, and by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts with us teaching, we're going to have the church built. It was built before we got to chapter 14, I believe. But I never thought that it was all about the natural. It had to be spiritual. If God wants this place to be what it needs to be, we've got to have the power of God and the life of God. So we were praying. We were fasting. Barry and Chris lived in that house just south of the Wesleyan Church. One evening we were over there and we got to talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Flo was like, do you think God would do that for me? And sure enough, we laid hands on her just a few moments. She began speaking with other tongues. Yeah. I still remember the services over in the community center laying hands on Michael. Some of them other ones. Power of God fall on them folks. I'm telling you, it was, it was real. It, it, I mean, the, the move of God... Sweet in those days. I couldn't get into the school, so I had to have a plan B for that. So I prayed, and, and we wanted to know how to do that. And God put it on my heart. Go into these nursing homes and preach. I thought, why go preach to all of these elderly people? Well, I started preaching in the nursing home in Superior. I was preaching in the one in Franklin. I was up at Blue Hill. I was here in town. Several other ones I was going to. Plus, at that time, I was driving up on Sunday morning live doing a radio broadcast out of Hastings. Used to do one live out of the one in Fairbury. Used to do one live in the radio station. Used to be in Superior until I found out about KRVN. Said there's no sense in killing myself if we got one that covers eight states. Yeah. But I was preaching in these nursing homes, and these activity directors were just so excited about what we were seeing uh, God do and praying for these people, and just really people being excited about a chapel service. <clears throat> well, what I didn't know was, as I was preaching to the older people, the older people were telling their kids, who were telling the grandkids, and then more and more people were finding out about what we were doing down here. I always felt like we should have other churches and I didn't feel like we should wait until we got to a certain point in growth. So Tiffany and I knew that the denominations had different settings for ministers to get together. So I started calling together pastors of independent churches. We start getting together in Hartwell at that little church up there. And once a month, I'd preach to them, tell them all about Christ. The uh, 
one of the ladies who was over in Beatrice, who had come over to one of those meetings, was talking to us, and so we put together a meeting in Hebron. And Tiffany and I and Steve and Flo and a couple other people drove over to church over in Hebron, held a meeting there, and as we were in that place, I, I told Tiffany, I said, I think, I really do believe God wants us to, to have a place to minister here in Hebron. Well, of course, you know, Tiffany, she's, she always says about me, I, I don't know why God always tells you to do things where he don't put the money up front. You know, you, you just, just start something, you know. Well, I mean, you know, God never promised me anything other than blessings if I'm faithful. So we started up in in Hebron, I think we started on a Saturday night, and where we're meeting now, there's a smaller building where we were meeting in that whole steel complex there because we needed a place. And I knew the, the gentleman, I didn't know him, but somebody knew the gentleman that owned that, that building. So I went to him, I said, look, we're just starting up a work down here. Don't have a whole lot of money. Would you be willing to let us pay this? For the first two months, this, for the next two months, and this, for the next two months. He said, well, I don't know. I just, that's, uh, you know, this is what the price is, and I just think you ought to be able to come up with that. I said, well, Randy, you know, like I said, just start a new place. This, this is all we can do. Well, I got a call back a few days later. He said, I don't know what's going on. He said, I hadn't been able to sleep since I talked to you. And he said, so we're just going to go ahead and do what the arrangement that you had. So that's the arrangement that he set up. We started King of Kings. And, and because of that, that place has been a blessing to a whole lot of people. Oh, my goodness, a lot of people. And the good folks that come up uh, from King of Kings today, all of them are the fruit of that. And then there's been a whole lot of them that have moved on and moved out just like here. Have moved on, moved out, and gone to other locations. At this point, after 23 years, it's almost like I pastored two or three different congregations because of how the, 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 the numbers just turn and people come and people go. Because now we're watching the ones that were kids in the church grow up and have babies. And we're watching those babies now get ready to start getting bigger and bigger. But we always had the plan. And so as we were getting ready for, to, to plant King of Kings officially, the lady who had told us about Hebron and spoke to us about Hebron, was pastoring in, in Beatrice, and she just called me one day and said, Brother Darrell, I'm tired of this pastor, and I can't do this anymore. I just want you to come and take our church. I said, you just want me to just take the church? She said, yeah, just, it's yours. Just come over here. So I drove all the way to Beatrice, and it was Faith Fellowship. If you were driving along 136, you could see the big building right along the side there. I walked in there, and it was a super huge building. The basement was every bit as big as the upstairs part. All this property. But I knew God hadn't told me to stay in Beatrice. So I told that handful of people that were there, I said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll come for six months. But I'm in the process of starting to work in in Hebron. So for six months, we did. I mean, as soon as we started, God, God started moving. I went to the local radio station there in Beatrice, and to make a long story short, the, the lady who managed the thing heard our story and testimony how we got here. She gave us time on that radio in Beatrice free the entire time. Never paid one dime to be on the radio the whole time. Well, people started coming out on the Sunday night services. I didn't realize there were so many Mennonites in that area. 
But the Mennonites were coming out there in that Sunday evening service, getting filled with the Holy Spirit. People were on fire for God. And then here we had to up and leave. It was it was hard. But I knew what God had told me about Hebron and about here. And so through the years, we've done everything we could to remain faithful. This has always been the main church that took care of us. Hebron was always the, the satellite church. We never made a whole lot of money or anything like that. Never took a big salary or nothing like that out of that church. We were there to teach people and to preach the gospel. And so it is today. So it is today. Just to minister to any and all that comes. And when a few years back, we started holding those crusades in the sail barn. So many of you went down there to Plainville for those. And you can remember how God was touching a lot of hearts and stirring up the people in that area. Out of that meeting came people that invited us to Hayes. When we had that meeting in Hayes, some of you went down there for that. Over 400 people showed up in that first meeting in Hayes. Newspaper kind, was kind enough to write a nice article. But down there again, we hit the jackpot and seeing people filled with the Holy Spirit and seeing people blessed and touched by God. And so it all continues. I have no idea what's going to come out of this. But we helped plant the olive branch in Russell. We helped put Family Worship Center in West Point. We helped with several other churches in this area as people were trying to get going. I'd just go and preach a crusade for them in a community center or somewhere outdoors and help them minister Christ. But do you realize when we came out here, there were a whole lot of people who, if you would have told them there's more of God, they would have said to you, I have all of God that I need. But we've tried to show people there's a little bit more than what you had. See, the people that sat in darkness saw a great light. The different revivals we've held in Methodist churches, for the Nazarene, preaching in Lutheran places, Baptist churches, preaching for the AG out here. It's all demonstrated over and over again to me that the book of Acts has never ended, and it never will. As long as God has a people like you and a people like me that'll trust him, we can expect God to continue to move and bless a whole lot of people. Amen? Amen. There's no doubt about it, folks. 23 years, it's been wonderful. And I can tell you, if God gives us another 23 years, we're going to believe it's going to be even more glorious and this one here, because there'll be a whole lot more new faces in all of our churches during that time. And as we continue to walk with him, God keeps touching one heart after another, hoping our fellowships to be one miracle after another. Because this church here, folks, you're sitting in the middle of a miracle of how God did all of this and how he's still doing all of this with such a small group of people. See? The power of God. Yeah. Let's stand. Phyllis, could you just play anything in the background? Anything there. Sometimes it's just good to think about where you've come from and what all God has done. 
Now, I know right now everybody's thinking about that food. Don't worry, I am too. I saw the chicken truck pull up. Saw that food being carried in there. But how many of you are glad to be part of a miracle? I am. I am. Every year when we get up and we tell the story, I have no idea what faces will be here, what faces will be gone, but I always know that all the people that we've come to know remain in our hearts. And if everybody through the years were to come through that door or through the doors at King of Kings, folks, I'm telling you, there wouldn't be room enough for everybody in here. If everybody right now who calls this place their home, if they would have all been able to make it this morning, there wouldn't be enough place to find a seat in here at all. But here we are, able to love God. Let's just take a few moments and express our gratitude to the King and just worship Him for just a few moments. Oh God.